Hello, all you Antifada super soldiers out there. Jamie here. If you are listening to this episode right now, I am on vacation at an undisclosed location. However, I really wanted to run a little track we laid down the other night on Twitch with my friend Kay Gabriel because uh, we had a couple episodes in a row where our, um, shall we say, ultra-left friends were critical of the defund the, defund the police campaigns uh, from the left. And I really wanted to get another perspective because we try to be fair and balanced here at the Antifada. And as someone who is involved myself with uh, the, def- the, de- 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 the def- defund NYPD campaign... Um, I thought we should have someone on to defend, defund, defend, defund. So uh, from a communist perspective, of course. So uh, my friend Kay uh, is very cool, very smart. She is a member of DSA Emerge, along with myself. Uh, She is heavily involved with the campaign to defund the NYPD. And she really put into words a lot of things that I had been thinking in a very eloquent way. Uh, so, without further ado, here is our interview with Kay. Um, apologies if you already watched it on Twitch, um, but if you haven't watched our Twitch, uh, this can also serve as a nice little uh, little advertisement for our Twitch streams that we've been doing at twitch.tv slash the Antifada. Uh, we've been doing um, Mondays, Sean plays video games. Wednesdays, uh, we have our main show, Forever's Gonna Start Tonight, usually with the full crew. And Fridays, um, Andy and Courtney Soliday have a fun pop culture show whose name, uh, I wanna say, Pop Culture Party. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully I got that right. And coming soon, I'm gonna be doing a little thing called Antifada Ladies Night um, at a time TBD. But uh, yeah, we've been streaming Monday. Wednesday and Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern. And we usually go till like 10 or so. And it's a real fun time. Because you know you know what the, the modern communist movement was missing? It was missing being turned into a video game. And now we have that. We have all kinds of emojis. We got shit that I don't even understand. Maybe you guys can you know explain it to me because we're all boomers here. So yeah, anyway, um, enjoy this clip from our Twitch. And if you already watched it, and you are thirsty for new content. I promise we'll have some more of that real soon. All right, enjoy. <laughs> oh, you know, before we go too much further, perhaps we should introduce our guest. Oh, is she because, ready? Because uh, I told her to come on at seven, and she looks like she's here. I am in, fa- you here, I am in fact here. Oh, hi. Do you uh, have video? Or are you okay with that? I do. I, uh, hi. Oh, there we hi. go. There we are. Hey, uh, there you it's are. It's wonderful to be here, oh. although I know nothing about stocks. <laughs> That's Not okay. Not Kay, you don't have to know anything Neither about stocks to get excited when um, all of Wall Street and all the an- analysts lose their shit because they're so sad oh, that they got trolled. A, there's a total libidinal thrill. Um, so that's 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 all I know is that some people who were buried yesterday are very poor now. That's great. Hell Love yeah. it. We love to see um, it. I'll, oh, so to celebrate with Celine as well as a Canadian, I have to say. <laughs> as a Canadian. <laughs> as a Canadian. Oh yeah. There's one Canadian here. There's another Canadian behind me. That is Norman Bethune, uh, uh, and 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 Celine Dion. So that's three Canadians. Oh, yeah. Triple trouble. Wow, that's 
way more than we usually have. Um, zero. I should say, we zero okay. Canadians. You want me to use your first name, your last name? I'm so bad at this. I always forget for an app to like ask people how they want to be introduced. Uh-huh. I, I am Kay Gabriel. Uh, what else do you want to know about me? Um, <laughs> Are you from well, Canada? I am from Canada, okay. although I no longer live there. Let's uh, see. I am a poet and essayist. God help me. Um, yeah. So Hello. I first met you, Kay, as part of my capital reading group. And it's, it's almost a little bit like when you go to karaoke night and, you know, everyone's doing their best. And then you have someone get up there and just like all out a fucking Celine Dion song. And you're like, all right, fuck off, fuck off back to Broadway. That's what it's like when you're in a reading group about Marx and you find you encounter someone who's obviously a professor. No, just kidding. It's wonderful to have you. I've learned so much from you already. <laughs> Um, that was a fun night. Uh, I, I wish I was already a professor. I can only profess to being unemployed. Uh, um, but that is many people, that is many academics right now. Yeah. Um, uh, Jamie, I think you don't actually, you might not recall, but actually we met very briefly at um, Basilica Soundscape what? in 2019. What? Yes. No. I'm, I'm certain that we did. If you were there, then, uh, then I believe that we met. That's dope. I was in Hudson wow. last weekend. I'm sorry, I don't remember that. I was that's uh, totally. That's totally fair, fine. I take a lot of drugs at the Basilica. <laughs> I was on that. I, I respect nothing but taking drugs. So, <laughs> do you guys know that um, that park that's right on the Hudson River that kind of overlooks the entire like town and Basilica and stuff? I was just there up uh -huh. in that park looking down at Basilica last weekend. It was beautiful. So nice. Aww, Hudson that's rules. So nice. I miss I miss the Basilica so much. I was so sad that I did not get to go to the 24-hour drone festival and take acid this year. Uh, they tried to do it online, but it's not the same. It's not the same. Oh, no, no. I, th I think It's I an would. immersive experience, too. Like, it's not even like a regular concert. It's like you go there, you lie down on the floor for 24 hours, like, uh -huh. being immersed in it. You need to be in a gigantic barn with many other people. Absolutely. Good times. Hudson. I still get their emails. I hope they're okay. I, I really hope they're okay. I'm um, sure Melissa after yeah, that's... surviving somehow. No, I mean, she'll be fine. <laughs> like, no matter what happens, she's got money. Uh, but I still want the Basilica to survive. The building was like, still I... standing, as far as I could tell. So, uh -huh. well, I hope it is still standing and in her possession. Yeah, I think it is. Uh-huh. Oh, when okay. I, yeah, yeah, sorry, go. Oh, no. go, go, go. You're on oh, I was Okay, so I was just going to share this story. So when I was there, I was there for a poetry reading because that year, um, uh, my friend Jen Pelly uh, was part of the team putting it together and she had invited a bunch of poets. And um, uh, Melissa and some other people had like hauled in a, an, uh, an unused trolley car and put it on the grounds. Yeah, yeah. And it could fit about 15 people. And they were like, what are we going to do with this? We'll set up poetry readings. So while everyone else is actually like there to see, you know, um, walk the Hachi or whatever, um, the rest of us, like, you know, the 15 poets who have come to read are all listening to each other in this trolley car. Um, in the course of this, uh, Jen learns that I have a hole tattoo 
um, which is true. And she's like, oh my God, wait, you need to meet somebody. And she pulls me up to Melissa and we, and we say hi, and I'm sort of starstruck. And then Jen is like, so just repeat your story. And I'm like, well, you know, I have this tattoo and then Jen is like, why don't you show it? And, and unfortunately I'm like wearing this dress and it's right underneath my tit. So I just like pull, <laughs> I just fully expose myself, um, to, to reveal my, uh, my piece of cake. Uh, 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 that says the most cake underneath it. Um, and I both lived and died in that moment happily. <laughs> wow! You know, we transcended this place. This is such a late. I... This is such an elder millennial moment right now, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, that I remember that trolley uh, because it was also a good place to go chill out when you, everything was a little too much for you. And I remember. Oh God, Armin's nerdy friend, this guy that I was with, a friend of a friend, was like tripping too hard. And he went in the trolley and he didn't know who Melissa Alftermar was because he's not cool like us. Um, He just knew her as like, well, some lady was really nice to me in the trolley when I was tripping too hard. And he pointed her out to me and I'm like, that's Melissa Alftermar. He's like, Oh my God! Who's that? <laughs> uh, all all the all the zoomers um, all the zoomers in the chat are asking the same thing to themselves right now. God, well, who, who is she? For Tell a treat when they go in. And <laughs> uh, the the one of the former bassists from the rock band Hole, fronted by Courtney Love, uh, uh, the, uh, the better half of Nirvana. Uh, <laughs> you are in the zoomers are in for a treat. No, it's true. It's true. Sorry, I love Nirvana. I love. I, 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 I love them deeply. I'm not even one of the conspiracists who thinks that Kurt Cobain was secretly a woman. Um, I just, I, 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 I love them to my, my core. Um, but Hole is the better band. Um, and the Zoomers in the chat will believe this when they go and listen to Doll Parts for the first time and have their mind fucking blown. But I have to say about that. Okay, I think I do remember you now. I'm getting a vision when you said you were friends with Jen Pelly. Uh-huh. Um, that I met you at the Half Moon. Yes, that is afterwards and i was like i do a podcast and you were like what is it and i feel like one of us was afraid that the other one was a red scare fan for some reason but then we were both like no we don't like that podcast at all and i was like cool yes this was this was exactly the conversation precisely to a t um i i I was very relieved to know yeah, go for it. Can I interject real fast? Um, uh-huh. Watchers of the stream will see that I tried so hard. I I, I searched both uh, Doll Parts Vaporwave and Vaporwave Courtney Love, and neither one came up. So my apologies. Aww. I Someone's got to really get on doing Doll Parts uh, Vaporwave someday. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sorry, go on. Baby Courtney Love hates Vaporwave. <laughs> hey, Cole Arians, thanks for the sub. I'm going to turn around and and not do anything in celebration. (laughs) Oh yeah. We are allowed to do poppers on the stream, but we're not allowed to do to to tie it to subs. So we're just doing them for fun. Yeah. Not because people subbed. Right. And gave us money. But Calarians, thanks so much for the sub. I think I saw you the other night at game night. So thanks for coming back for the, uh, for the main show. We have no Andy today. Yeah, where the fuck is Andy? We're Andy free. Andy's. I was a- really. Uh, what? Where is he? Oh, he's in an un- undisclosed location. Where's that little A word? Where's that little mapache? Yeah. Um, he's doing mapache stuff in mapache land. 
digging around in a dumpster somewhere Pretty for much. treats. Literally, probably yeah, as we like speak. Him. Well, I'm I'm sad he's not here because I feel like Andy is the only one of us who would really uh, the ultra position super hard because this is part of why I invited Kay on today because we've had a couple of episodes in a row now where our ultra left friends are very dismissive of the (laughs) the defund campaign. We should get an ultra reaction. Watch this. Ultras. (laughs) <laughs> that's a boo scare that's good <laughs> yeah uh, we should get like a jared react or something or shimon react and just be like ultras ultras no because they were they were both very dismissive of um like any sort of uh any reform any reforms in the direction of defunding the police um because they think that that points in the direction of social democracy and therefore steers us away from the communist horizon or at least does nothing uh-huh. to advance it. And I asked the same question again of Jared and Zana that I asked of Arturo and Shimon because I thought, you know, given that he cites Ruth Wilson Gilmore in a lot of his writing on abolition, I thought he might have a position closer to hers. It's a little bit friendlier to um, defund, but uh, but no, he said basically the same thing that uh, uh, other ultras said. So all I those ultras, ultras are all the same, man. Always just being ultra, always being left, doing that ultra shit. It's uh... you know. Okay, so, so so I guess kind of in general, what I'll say about ultra about ultra leftism, even though I am not one, I think that they serve a purpose. I think that people whose tendency is to swing the farthest left possible do a lot to keep everyone else honest. So there is a function that they serve, even if you disagree with them. Um, and I do, um, as a communist, I do disagree. Um, but I, I, I think that there is something good that they're doing in this moment. That's that's the first thing I'll say. That's very nice and even-handed of you. Got to give credit where credit's uh-huh. due. I should also say, folks, Kay is a part of the Defund campaign as well as... Um, Emerge, which is a communist caucus in New York City, DSA, that I am also a part of. So, shall so we go? There were, there were some real shots fired on the last couple uh-huh. episodes against defunders from all sides right. of the ultra left spectrum. So you're here to defend defund the police. Uh, I I I think so. So I I will do that. What I want to do, I think, is maybe just sketch out. Um, I, I, I'm going to talk about defund, but I'm not going to talk about defund, I think, on its own, um, if that's okay. I want to talk about defund and relate it to abolition more generally. Um, and I think that one good start, one good jumping off point for this disagreement that I want to sketch out is um, from the essay that actually I read because Jamie posted it in the Emerged Discord. Um, uh, and and uh, uh, that was post, uh, published on Ill Will Editions by Shimon and Arturo, um, and that distinguished between what they called revolutionary abolitionism and reformist abolitionism. 
I do not think that this is a distinction with a difference, so to speak. I think that that's kind of a specious distinction. Um, and I kind of want to talk about why, and in the course of talking about why, I wanted to talk about why defund is in fact strategic. Um, so if you're following me so far, I can get into why I do not think that that distinction holds up. The abolish defund distinction. Uh, right. So, so when we say abolition, right, we are talking, we are not just talking about taking structures out of the world that hurt people. We are talking about putting institutions in place that support everyone's ability to live and live well. So that means that we are thinking in a really, I will dare to say, totalizing sense about um, uh, everything that has to change. This is why this is not social democracy, right? This is why that, that let's get that, uh, uh, let's get, let's clear that off the table right away. No this sock is not them social shit. democracy, where no social democracy just shit. means, you know, the set of resources in the state is a given. And what we need to do, what politics consists of is pulling that so they belong to more people rather than fewer. And the examples for that would be, I don't know, I mean, you talk to the Social Democrats and they, they like Sweden, they like Canada, they like, you know, sort of very highly developed nations that have kind of benefited from sharing borders and resources and, 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 and other things and NATO membership with imperialist nations and that's kind of where they get their wealth from right um so 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 that so that that's that's social democracy um and it's important to, to say that the distinction that we can draw here right away is that when we say abolition we're not just talking about getting more resources taking resources away from some people and giving them to others that is a much too limited way of understanding this political program i think um uh, is is that like is that is that helpful um, already? Like just to start with. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Um, okay. I think. Okay. To be fair, <clears throat> though, there are a lot of social democrats and even left liberals, like my boss Sam Cedar, who support the reform, the more reformist aspect of defund, but certainly not abolition, which requires, of course, a revolution. And then they we uh, get into right. arguments so, with them about, oh, well, all you abolitionists are hurting this much more realistic cause, so you should shut the fuck up. Like, and after arguing with people like that, I can kind of see where the ultras are coming from. They don't want to deal with that shit. Huh, right. So, so, well, that's absolutely true. And defund, I think, we're going to, I, I want to keep sketching out this kind of broader landscape and different understanding, but I think we're going to come back to defund okay. because one of the reasons why, I'm going to flag this now, one of the reasons why it's strategic is because people who do not understand themselves to be abolitionists, people who are further to the right than us, nonetheless are able to coalesce around this demand. Um, that doesn't mean it's a compromise demand. That means it's strategic. Okay, I'm gonna, and, and we're like, we'll come back to that. But it is true. It is true that social Democrats like defund, that left liberals like defund. You know, there are people in, in unions who are not socialists, who are not communists, uh, uh, who like defund. There are people in, um, uh, in nonprofits uh, who, who, who like this. Okay, this would seem to produce, and again, we're going to uh, like, we can get really into the weeds here, but this produces a popular frontism against the organized violence of the state. 
ought, I think, is a good thing right now in a situation of advanced crisis, of crisis on multiple fronts, having, being able to muster a popular frontism and pull it to the left substantially such that full win. That is, that is what makes this strategic. Okay, that is one of the things that makes this strategic. And one of the di- one of the differences that I have with ultra leftism is that I think off and this this is you know this sometimes takes the form of like left communists. It sometimes takes the form of anti state communists. It might be sort of endnotes people. It might be anarchists, right? Basically, um, all of our friends. Yeah, yeah all of our, these are oh these are people. <laughs> These are people I fuck with, literally and metaphorically. These are these are lovers, and these are these are the people who I go into the streets with, and these are the people who I do mutual aid with, and these are the people who I take like bumps of ketamine off of their keys. Nonetheless, they might oh, be yeah. wrong. You know, like they just like they might be wrong. Um, uh, and one of the things that characterizes, I think, the the sort of rhetorical positioning of oneself as being at the furthest left end of the spectrum is that it puts you sometimes in the position of wanting to be right rather than to win. So my question often is, do you want to be right or do you want to win? Um, and that sometimes be way too cynical a question because it suggests that, oh, you know, we're going to settle for the least bad thing. But that's not what I'm trying to say. I am trying to say one of the ways that I personally, and this is a strategic difference, Right. One of the ways that I personally approach politics as a socialist and a communist, right, is thinking about in situ in bad situations, right, um, in difficult situations, in historically ebb situations. How do we correctly assess the balance of forces? How do we assess, you know, uh, 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 the possibilities for coalition building, the possibilities for organizing people, the possibilities for talking to people, the kind of state of like general consciousness. And how do we think about how to get next, like think about our goals, abolition, and how do we get there? How do we get to that? How do we get to that, that place such that when the situation changes, we are in a better position? That requires thinking, no, 16 steps ahead, or at least two, right? At least two. Um, and, and maybe this is, this is fighting words, you know, I sort of expect that I'm going to pr- pr- uh, uh, ruffle some feathers, but I think that one of the problems with ultras is that they are not thinking two steps ahead. They're thinking one. Um, so that, that, that's me. One revolution. What more steps do you need? Right. You just do the revolution. You just do the revolution, right? You, you, you know, go if from that A was, to Z. You forget it's simple. to do the revolution again. <laughs> if it were that easy. We could be living happily in council communism. Kay, and that would be that. Okay, what you're proposing are three steps: A, B, and C. But what <laughs> I would propose, other, I would propose perhaps we simply go A to Z and cut out those steps in the middle. Just don't forget to rev. The last quarter. Okay, so so absolutely, don't forget to rev. That I, I, I we're, we're we're all there. We're absolutely there. Um, but so so you know, like I mean. Again, breaking this down, when we talk about, so abolition is interesting, right? For uh, It's obviously right. Uh, 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 it is a position that it commands immense degree of moral prestige, as it should, right? Because nobody should live in a, in a cage um, and nobody should be subject to the genocidal violence of the state. That's absolutely true, right? Um, but it, it also is an interesting position now because it's 
uh, it's a kind of hegemonic position on the left. And that is a change that happened within the past 10 months, um, within the past eight months even. So that's remarkable, right? Therefore, it is capable of uniting people who actually believe very different things about the world. And that's a good thing because that means that we are able to move in concert with people with whom we otherwise have substantial disagreements. Okay. And I think just so where this comes down to defund specifically as a strategy, even though I agree that it is, I won't say it's, a, I won't say it's reformist. I think it's incremental. Okay. That means that it is a step that is somewhat shy of absolutely everything. It doesn't mean that it can't comprise a part of it, right? Um, so it is incremental. What does it do? If we understand that the state's resources for organized violence have expanded massively to deal with the effects, uh, this is a Ruth Rosen Gilmer line, to deal with the effects of organized abandonment, Neoliberalism means that you take money away from people to live on welfare, education, healthcare, environment, and you put, and and then you what do you need? What do you do when people are starving and poor, and when their needs are not being met? And how do you control the chaos that results? You increase prisons and policing. You put people away. You make them subject to I don't know. You throw gang charges at them and drug charges at them. You know. So if we understand that this is our position, if we need to, if this is the historical knot that we need to unpick, and if unpicking it means undoing an important and critical part of racial capitalism in the present, you know, that uh, uh, means that we need to be thinking about resources and where they are flowing and understanding, you know, in, in New York City, we live under the thumb of what? The SBA president Ed Mullins, SBA president and QAnon supporter Ed Mullins, Sergeant calls Benevolent Association for people that don't know. That is that is correct. It's one of the NYPD's five unions. It's the second largest. SBA president and QAnon supporter Ed Mullins describes the NYPD as the world's largest non-military army. The thing is, he is not wrong. He is entirely correct. Their headcount is thirty-six thousand uniform members. Right. They have. <laughs> they yikes. Have, yeah. They have That's a yikes for me, fam. They are active in dozens of countries world in a dozen countries worldwide. They train with the IDF. Uh, they not only um, uh, suppress protest and obviously uh, murder people here, but they are present globally. Right. So we understand this massive scale of resources that the state is funneling into creating social pacification. Um, but but that, that is not actually sustaining people's ability to live. Right. And so where defund comes in as an incremental demand is it begins by saying, OK, that six million dollars, we want half of it. We want half of it, and that can fully fund schools and, and hospitals, where 20 hospitals have closed in New York State over the past 20 years, right? Uh, 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 schools, hospitals, transit, uh, uh, food security, you know, uh, uh, housing security, right? Everything that people need to live on that uh, the state has dispossessed them of, that the neoliberal no state broken. has dispossessed them of. Sorry. So that, so, so that, so that is my 
uh, uh, defensive defense. Oh, oh my goodness! So this is, uh, this looks like some propag some propaganda. Yeah, for, no. Um, oh my goodness! I just I I found a, a thing that your friend Ed Mullins put out about uh, how cops need more weapons, and I think it's just a whole series of videos of um, police officers and correction officers being uh, having the shit beat out of them. So I don't know. Well, you know, I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's uh, that sounds like propaganda to me. Yeah, New York, NYC, or it's just good, hot. or it's just good viewing. It's good stream viewing. Bunch of cops just getting, you know, mm. who knows? To put that over some vaporwave. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so Ed Mullins, Ed Celine Mullins, has... yeah, Ed Mullins, yeah, Ed, Ed, Ed Mullins. It's cra- you. You reminded me of something. I don't want to derail things because um i think jamie you and jamie have a lot to talk about yes, you do <clears throat> um but um do you remember like six months ago when an old jewish grandmother from the labor party uk got canceled for saying that uh the idf trains uh police officers was that her somebody got canceled for that i think I, be- oh, yeah. I, I I remember the case you're talking about, and I believe that she was in fact purged from the labor purged party. Purged from the labor party. Um, yeah, which is fucking wild. For stating the fact <laughs> kicked her out. that the Israeli Defense Force trains the NYPD and a ton of other police departments around this country on tactics and using weapons. So bad. That's that. <laughs> that's, that's so bad. That's like, that imperialism what you, coming what you right doing home. over there, guys. There's that blowback right there. You know, Perfect that, example of blowback. But, uh, I mean, it kind of draws the analogy for you yeah. between uh, settler colonial state like Israel and what we got going on here. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I think that the thing that people were saying a lot uh, in 2014, that uh, the tear gas that is manufactured by uh, the company of Warren Canders, uh, 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 um who used to be, you know, on the board of the Whitney and all these other things, right? Uh, that tear gas, same, same canister, uh, 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 is distributed to uh, Israel-Palestine to use in Gaza, uh, uh, as as was used on on uh, protesters in Ferguson, right? You know, so 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 truly, munitions manufacturing uniting um, uh, apartheid in both countries, uh, effectively. Um, Do you guys? And- Back to the back to the defund slash abolish shit. Did you both live in in the city in the teens like the whole time? I know Jamie did. Kay, did you? Yes, I did. Yeah. yeah. So even even in the in the aughts too, like it was shocking to me because you know I've lived here forever. Like back fifteen twenty years ago, even the stop and frisk was just like an accepted part of police practice in New York City. And uh, under Bloomberg, you know, it started to go up bigly. And I think under de Blasio, it went up to, what, 600,000 stops in one year? So so, de Bl- so the, the, I believe that the details on that are that um, de Blasio ran his campaign as an anti-stop and frisk campaign. By the time he won the primary um, in uh, June, what was it, June 2013? Um uh, stop and frisk had already been banned by the courts mm-hmm. um, for being a massive violation of civil rights. Um, de Blasio likes to say that he ended stop and frisk. This is not true, right? Um, 
unfortunately, not only is it not true that he ended it in theory, but actually stop and frisk continued in practice, uh, has continued, continues to this day. Not at the same scale, but it absolutely continues. Um, What's interesting about why I bring up stop and frisk is because it's the first time in my lifetime that I remember there being like this sort of uh, intensive counterinsurgency tactic being used by this militarized police force in New York City and obviously elsewhere, too. It was the first time in like 2012, 2013 that uh, the, the police state was pulled back a touch. Like it was this it, it had been around it had been a scandal for years. And in this case, like the hegemonic position came to be that this is too much. And so that's six, seven years ago. And now, like, that's that's one particular place. That's New York City and one particular tactic. But now I think that's like kind of the, the germ of, of this bigger discussion is that, you know, all over from Ferguson to New York City to Oakland and everywhere, this has been going on for so long and there's so much awareness about it that kind of with stop and frisk, the, the dam broke on that. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I mean, you can think about stop and frisk as, as, you know, kind of like one element of this particular, this particular struggle. Um, that's absolutely true. Um, I mean, I think that it's interesting. So when I say that abolition became hegemonic on the left, not just in living memory, but like yesterday, mm. um, I, I mean to, I think that it's important to illustrate a difference between the Black Lives Matter uprisings of 2014 to 15 and the Black Lives Matter uprising last year, right? Um, and that one of the major differences is that the result of, you know, a series of um, uh, mo mobilizations that you could describe as an insurrection, you can describe them as riots, you can describe them as movement, you can describe them as protests. I, I, those have different inflections. I, so I, 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 I think, but... Like, I'm not going to pick one. Um, one of the effects of those, all those moments, which were deeply radical um, and which were, you know, uh, 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 or coalescing around a series of demands is that they were easily co-opted at the time to ensure that every major police force in North America ended up equipped with body cameras. Mm. And so this was not, so, so to, speak of a, to speak of a really bad reform, Right. This is a reform that simply swelled police budgets that made a lot of money for the people who manufactured those cameras, right. but do not actually in any meaningful sense contribute to police accountability, uh, whether you measure that in terms of, I don't know, people no longer dying uh, at, at the hands of police or uh, uh, and, and, and I don't measure it this way, but, you know, some people do or pe police being murderous police being, you know, arrested or, or you know, put in prison themselves. Um, police kill people at the same rate as they have done for the past, you know, uh, I mean, I actually, so, so since 2014, p the police in the U.S. have killed about a thousand people a year. That's true every year. Um, do you, uh, do, the, you uh, do you think, though, that the fact that um, a lot of evidence came out, despite cops not being indicted and convicted of uh, brutality and murder, we know that that's the case, unfortunately. Do you think that the the use of body cameras, when the cops actually turn them on, when, and the footage gets out, do you think that that uh, helped raise awareness just because of how, um, you know, how serious the the evidence was for police misconduct? Is there I, a correlation? 
Uh, I, I don't, I do, I do not believe so. Okay. Um, I think that that is kind of an empirical question. Like you could solve it by sort of looking at, um, you could solve that question by, by, by like looking, you know, I'm sure that there are people who've done this, who kind of looked at this, like, like case by case. I think that, uh, uh, you know, y you can just sort of see like situations in which there is an absolutely fucking, you know, like horrific, scandalous video, uh, like an unequivocally obvious video of, uh, police murdering people without provocation, uh, uh, you know, unarmed. I mean, I, I, I don't offer those qualifications because I think that police are justified in murdering people otherwise, but you know, like these are the things that get everybody, but the, you know, there are some situations in which these murders happen that uh, incite a mass mobilization and there are some when they don't right often also that video is filmed not by police it's filmed by civilians because if it's coming from police it has to be asked for by prosecution or by by private lawyers after the fact right and so i don't actually think it has like a kind of mobilizing effect i don't think that's true at all but you're saying um, it was a big grift though a lot of people made a lot of money and it did uh, yeah a lot of cover for the cops now because they can say oh we have cameras but uh-huh. Right. So, so that was, that was 2014 to 15, right? That was, you know, Ferguson, it was Baltimore, uh, uh, you know, whatever, everything else that happened in, I, I mean, obviously New York city at that moment after the murder of Eric Garner, right? Yep. One of the things that is different this time is that very quickly, as in within days, the chance in the street and online and in media quickly became disarm, defund, abolish, right? Where that suggests that these these different elements have something to do with each other. So how did this mass movement so quickly coalesce around these correct demands? The answer has to do with the intervening six years of very dedicated organizing by abolitionists that made it much more possible that when people were all of a sudden politically activated, they would actually encounter the ideas adequate to what they were really demanding, which was not more accountable police. It wasn't reformable police. It wasn't police with diversity training. It was no cops. Right. Um, so that points to, and this is, I think, another one of my di di differences from the ill will additions line that there's a kind of difference between reformist abolitionism and, and revolutionary abolitionism. Because this stuff that might look, I don't know, I sh maybe I should ask them, but what, what, if, it, by, if by reformist abolitionism, they mean anything short of actively, actively physically fighting the state. If they, they do. Yeah, precisely. So, so they do. So they mean legislative changes. They mean policy changes. They mean base building. They mean uh, uh, they mean uh, education, political education, not not just classroom education, right? Um, uh, if all of that stuff is reformist abolitionism, one of the interesting things about it is that it produced a lot of abolitionists, mm. um, and it actually made it possible for organizations that for relatively milquetoast organizations and by this i do mean dsa to embrace yeah. the language and sometimes the policies and principles of abolition in such a way as to effectively be forced by the by history by the movement to uh, veer to the left 
um, and to veer into understanding the role of prisons and policing in pursuing racialization, inequality, genocide, dispossession. Period. I was very happy and surprised when DSA passed the resolution in favor of abolition at the convention because, like, I don't know if everybody voted who voted for it realizes it, or maybe they do, but like, in order to have abolition, you need an anti-capitalist revolution. You need a social revolution. And that is something that DSA really likes to pussyfoot around. Absolutely, right, yes, yes. Um, so, you know, one, one of the important things here is that, right, so, so when we talk about abolition, we, we talk about unpicking the not a racial capitalism. That means that we understand that capitalism is always racial. Race and class always go together. There is no race without class. There is no class without race. And that undoing this is requires revolutionary thought and revolutionary organization. It requires the mass self-activity of the working class. Um, and it requires uh, all of the work that we need to do to put that into place, both at peak moments like last week of May 2020, right? And at ebb moments, right? Understanding that these things can change very quickly. Um, so, so, so Jamie, when you say revolution, you know, when we tie ourselves as we should to that event, that's, you know, when it has happened in the past, when it's going to happen in the future, it means that we are always thinking, even when one of those, even when we are not in a revolutionary situation, right? Even when that situation is not upon us, we always have to be thinking about how do we get there, right? And we always have to be thinking about how do we build structures such that when we are there, we are in a position to take advantage of it. Now, uh, that's the Jamie. Okay. Yeah. No, go for it. AKK. Did you know that the state is bad and the things that you're trying to give more money to, like education, social work, healthcare, whatever, whatever, are also instruments of social control? You have to say about that. Well, <laughs> okay. So let's talk about the state. Um, let's talk about state, baby. <laughs> let's talk about bourgeois stuff. Let's talk about all the government we want to smash right up. Let's talk about states. Let's talk about. I, <laughs> I thought you were going to rhyme bourgeoisie with baby and i was gonna be really excited that was all freestyle that was, no i was just spitting right there i i uh i didn't have time to work it out alas rhymes escape all of us maybe that's a good thing um so so okay i mean i think um okay so let's talk about the state i think that also i'll start this way I think that anti-state communists, I actually am not one, but I think that anti-state communists need to, need to think way harder about what the state is. Um, and actually I'll broaden that out. I think that those of us who are in theory and practice opposed to the state as it currently is, and this, this number does include me, right? Because I am opposed to the bourgeois state. Um, 
uh, 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 you know, those of us who in theory and practice are opposed to the state as it currently is need to spend a lot of time thinking about the state and learning about the state and recognizing that is never internally united or static. So that, so that's one thing, you know, it's very easy to say, oh, you know, like, um, this is just all kind of a this is just all you know oppressive control over people's lives but but actually we're talking about a lot of different things when we say that um i mean i i i so so, the, so that's just, that's just a kind of like general shot across the bow of like reflexive anti-statism which is that even people who are vigorously opposed to the state, I think, need to learn way more about what they are actually opposing. Oh, yeah. Because, and, and, and here's a good example of it. Um, uh, we are, on the left, we like to say that fascists and police are the same thing, but actually many far-right factions are very opposed to the police as well. That does not mean, as Jimmy Dore seems to have discovered when he talked <laughs> to a boy, right? You know, and he's like, oh man, like, it, horseshoe theory. No, 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 right? They, they, th this proves to us that actually, although it is easy and satisfying to call police fascists, and although there is a great deal of white supremacist infiltration into police forces, and although police are the instruments of objective white supremacy, nonetheless, there are important differences. There is not actually an identity between, between the, the uh, uh, organized violence of the state and uh, a white supremacist, organized white supremacism on the right. But have you um, considered that some of those who work forces are the same that burn crosses? Sorry. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> now, I have a question for you about the state in your yeah. conception. Yeah, go for it. So are you right. saying that the, the state is, um, uh, is, is split into different functions um, with different... Uh, class elements to them? Are you saying there's like a um, a relative autonomy of the state outside of politics writ large? What's uh, what's the relationship in your mind between the bourgeois state and the ruling class? I don't just mean the bourgeoisie. I mean like the politicians, capital, the media, all that stuff. Uh -huh. So, I mean, I think, you know, like uh, uh, if, if you're asking, is the state internally divided and subject to different interests, subject to the different interests of the different factions of capitalists. That is absolutely true. Yeah. And we are actually witnessing it in real time because eight years ago, it, you know, eight years ago, we had a, a, a democratic, uh, uh, or I mean, I don't know, like five years ago, whatever. Um, uh, uh, be, be, between 2008 and 2016, we had um a democrat uh, 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 government uh, a, de a democratic led government that was so cozy with uh, the or um indistinguishable from uh, 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 many uh, uh, republicans right um so that that's on the one hand on the other you know like Biden who was a part was part and parcel of that fossil fuel cozy in uh, uh, administration on day one killed the Keystone XL pipeline. This is not because Biden is an environmentalist, right? It's not because Biden is some kind of, it's not because he's on our side, he's not, right? But 
it's the case. I was talking to a friend about this last night, um, uh, uh, who was who broke down for me really clearly that um, uh, donations from the fossil fuel industry, ha- which were already way tilting Republican, have swung even further mm. uh, uh, to, from one party to the other, right? And so that 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 tells us something about the composition of forces. It tells us that. People who would love to be fossil fuel cozy in another life very recently were fossil fuel cozy are no longer fossil fuel cozy now because their sources of funding have shifted. Mm. That points to internal divisions within different factions of the capitalist class who fund the political class, right? And who, yeah. who bankroll them, who who put themselves in office. So so right? so you're saying that so if if we I think you're right about that. So you have the two factions of mainstream politics in the United States. You have the Republican neoliberals who are um, who are, are backed by extractive capital, uh, by national capital, national productive capital, and by um, the forces of law and order. And then you have the Democrat neoliberals who are backed by tech and backed by media capital and are kind of a more globalized interest group Forget around Hollywood. Them. And Hollywood and all that stuff. So I, I understand. I think it's I think that it's it's fair to say that, you know, within reason because there's some overlap. Uh, for example, finance is is cozy with both parties. Maybe because finance is kind of the glue that keeps that holds all that shit together. But that's a that's the ruling class split. Their interests in two different parties. Are you saying then that? That the state itself. I, I think, I think yeah. it's not quite as neat as all of that because there are people who hedge their bets yeah, infamously. Um, but, 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 you know, like, say, say that's the breakdown. Yes, let's say that's the breakdown. It's very, very schematic. So then these two factions of the ruling class fight each other, fight each other, fight it out in the realm of politics. And then there's a, there, uh, for, for two, four, six years, they capture the state in some way, shape, or form. And then, so the state, I guess I'm asking, is the state a reflection merely of bourgeois politics and ruling class interests, or is there a relative autonomy to the state, which is to say that the state can stand as a third actor outside of that and and regulate the class struggle, as it were? I I mean, I'm not really sure what relative autonomy means in this in this context. But I what I will say is that I think so I think that, you know, like institutions are obviously more than just the people who give them power, but they don't exist without it. Right. And and the people who those people who give them power are also not just one class. Right. Because the power bases of even very wealthy people rely on certain mobilizing certain forms of uh, other dimensions of civil society right um so so we can so this is just you know like we can we uh, uh, what i'm what i'm saying in the abstract before i get to like jamie's i think very good question about like hmm, what do we think about like education and healthcare being stuff that the state also does right um uh, uh you know like we just need to think we just need to be prepared to think about the state as something that is never static it's never inter- it's always internally divided it is never given Okay, it is a, a, a series of historical contingencies that enable power and resources and energy to flow in certain directions and inhibit them from flowing in others. Um, and once we think about that, we can position ourselves more effectively within and against it. So that brings so so then then we get to things like well, what about so this kind of argument against defund that it's like oh you move you shift resources from one part of the state to the other, okay. This argument assumes that there that the state is just sort of one organ 
that's like dividing stuff up within itself and that there are not people who uh, are variously enabled or inhibited in their abilities to live as a result of these decisions right as a result of these kind of like like flows of power and resources and capital and so on um but there are because the state keeps all of us in clean water right uh, um uh, i you know like we can argue about what we kind what we ultimately want out of that situation what the best way you know in a, in some in some in, in some better situation is to manage to manage that right but right now the state keeps all of us in clean water um, it it keeps all of us, I don't know, like uh, 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 protected from calamities, like say uh, uh, disease. Um, those sometimes. are fun <laughs> sometimes. Well, okay, That's doing a great job. But, can, you know, the U.S. is not, but Cuba is, and China is. That is that kind of scandalous thing to say yep. over here. But China has fewer than ten thousand COVID deaths, yep. and we are about to hit half a million. Right? As far as we know, I. I I don't believe every everything that comes out of the Chinese government. I, 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 okay, I mean, I think that you know, uh, you can they, um, without like pursuing too much credulity, uh, or and also without like parroting like right wing lines about China, um, we can nonetheless observe that they like have been able been able to be extraordinarily effective at controlling yeah. this like basically mass people, pandemic. People are out on mass Whatever in public did, at concerts and you know. You're, you're seeing life return back to normal like four or five months ago in China. And that that's all the evidence I need. Cuba has, I mean, I haven't checked the numbers recently, but in December it was under 300 deaths from COVID. And they have sent their doctors multiple times to Italy. So what does this tell? And, and you know, this, this makes me sound like a tanky to say. You know, like you, you talk about the things that socialist states are actually capable of doing. And people are like, oh, you're a fucking tank. You're a fucking Stalinist. I, I, we can, you know, put some of that stuff aside. Uh, I, I, I do not believe that I am. But we can nonetheless observe some of the things that, that these states, which are set up in different ways, which are able to muster different resources, even if they are very poor, like Cuba, like relatively poor, right? Um, uh, 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 they are in set up in different ways such that they can actually keep people alive. Whereas the United States, the wealthiest nation in the excuse me, the wealthiest state in human history, cannot. Even if there was the, even if last year there had been the political will, the state could not actually have summoned the resources and the requisite uh, uh, sort of co internal coordination to do what China did. Uh, and to build hospitals like literally overnight and to get people to isolate in, you know, hotel rooms on their own, not with a roommate. Uh, uh, so their families wouldn't become infected. Right. So these are some of the things that the state does. We can at least accept. I would hope even an ultra would accept that w one of the things that that one of the effects of that is that it enables people to live in situations of crisis and calamity. So if we take that as an example, you know, uh, then we can think about what are some of the other things that the state can do that are substantially different from, and this again, this is the Gilmore line, but to, to you know, the anti, substantially different from what the anti-state state actually does. You know, if we ha ever get Medicare for all, that's the state's going to do that. Like, 
I do differentiate between um, services that keep people alive and uh, ones that kill people. Tank. For instance, right? I mean, I sounds like some tanky shit to me. <laughs> I mean, I grew up in a country that you know, sort of famously here has socialized healthcare, um, and. Uh, uh, you know, like, uh, I mean, I was talking with a comrade recently who, um, uh, I, I've lived abroad, I've lived here for, for so much longer that my, my connection to kind of day-to-day -day Canadian politics is a lot slimmer, but my friend was telling me, you know, like, the numbers on overdose deaths in Ontario, um, even though the opioid epidemic is, 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 is high, it, like, has, it has a massive problem there, the numbers on the actual deaths is a lot lower, and that has everything to do with, uh, with the healthcare system. We can think about it. Thinking about it right now. Uh, the, thinking uh, about it, right? <laughs> the, the reason I can't go all the way into ultra territory, the reason why I have never really been, although I flirted with it, a insurrectionary, insurrectionary anarchist or a full communizer, if you believe it, is because um, it seems like trying to, to capture lightning in a bottle, like you have these moments and this includes riots and includes insurrections like we saw this last year. And it even includes revolutions, uh, these moments that crystallize in time at certain conjunctions where uh, everything is everything is open, right? That, that the future is open and that the masses, the working class, the toiling people actually have a role to play directly themselves, self-organized and self-active in the streets and in the workplaces in order to literally do do the thing to change society problem is is that it's hard to ca it's hard to uh, capture that in a bottle and those moments we've seen even glorious revolutions uh, of which we've had many there's a, a bit of fatigue you know all, all thing all else aside the politics and the uh, the um, the resistance to a revolution fatigue sets in and so the argument, I believe, from ultras is that um, all the stuff you're saying is good and fine, but we need to make sure that you, Kay, and the other ones like you, maybe maybe me, maybe some of the listeners, do not stop the organic expression of self-activity that happens in a riot. That that riotous moment, if it, if it, if it were not for the reformists, right, that riotous movement uh, could, could turn into the whole thing, I guess at any time. And I just I don't I'm not sure I believe that I'm a lot more convinced yeah. by by the good the really good example you gave of the time between Ferguson and the time uh, of the insurrection when it sounds like what you're saying is that thousands tens of thousands of people took a serious look at the situation with police violence uh, and murder in the United States and they came up with a series of like radical proposals for it so that when that moment hit. It, the it, the the revolutionary words could be on people's tongues, right? It could be out there, abolish and uh, disarm and all that. So I, I'm convinced by that. I'm convinced by it. So I guess the right. one way to synthesize this is simply to say, maybe you need both. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. So 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 for sure. So so now that I've kind of like uh, uh, set my you know set my sights on 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 the like the. The ultras are, are being yeah. talking against that. Now that drag the sock let, down. Let, let me, let me, <laughs> uh, let's 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 go to the other direction, right? Yeah. Let's talk about I don't know, like sort of. I mean, I think that there is a kind of stagist trot line. <laughs> uh, let, let, let's get go let's off, get Queen. one thing really, really, really clear. 
Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something mean about trots. Yes, um, do it. Uh, uh, <laughs> but Please. like, let's get one thing really clear. Clear when people when there are mass mobilizations by people against the institutions that uh, are are keeping them uh, 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 dispossessed, exploited, uh, um, uh, starving. Um, scared for their lives. When those mobilizations take place, those are good things. We sh- we are absolutely on side. We have to be on side. Um, and 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 that you know, like I mean, I think around the time of the Gijon, um, people in the U.S. were like, oh wow, you know, like this is what class struggle is going to be like. And the in as as you know, climate crisis escalates, as terminal crisis of capital escalates. You know, like there are Nazis there, there are leftists there. It's really. It, the kind of class character of this is really unclear. That, that is has turned out to not be true. If you look at the mass wave of, of, of mobilizations in 2019 into 2020 in Latin America, in in Iraq, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, and then in the U.S., right? Um, uh, actually, the class character of those was pretty fucking clear. Um, it was definitely working class people across different segments uh, uh, using various tools at their disposal to live. Uh, that is absolute, that it was absolutely like coming from people and coming from the left and coming from the working class. Uh, that happened. We saw it. Um, uh, and so this is this is true of the uprising in 2020 as well, right? Um, it was absolutely a a multiracial working class uprising against uh, 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 the genocide of racial capitalism, understanding uh, uh, black liberation as, as as sort of a central note within that. Uh, um, uh, that 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 definitely that definitely happened. Um, uh, we cannot like you know we have to resist every attempt to 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 kind of wash this away from. From, from our memory or to pretend that it was all like peaceful, like, you know, fuck that. Um, uh, people were using the tools at their disposal to um, uh, uh, demonstrate political agency. Um, that was, I think for everyone, an enormously clarifying moment. Um, and here's where, here's here's the bad stages, not not every trot, but here's <laughs> a bad stages trot line. That you Hashtag often not all trots. Go on. Not all, not all trots. Okay. So one of the lines was, well, and, and you know, you see this, uh, you see this in certain people's uh, caucus points of unity. I'm just going to put that one out there. That they will sort of say, well, a t- the time for kind of insurrectionary movement, mobilization against the state, that's a thing of the past. Mm. It's not a thing of the present. Um, it is not a relevant feature of struggle. Mm. Everybody who says it is, is sort of romanticizing moments that no longer exist. That kind of thinking leads people to in situations where there actually is mass uprising using all the tools at people's disposal, right? Uh, and by all the tools, we mean all the tools, right? Uh, um, that le- when people see this, when, when and they have this kind of thinking, this kind of like anti-insurrectionist uh, thinking, that leaves them flat-footed, right? That that means that they are like, this is not actually politics. It's not sufficiently coherent. It's not sufficiently organized around a demand. Um, and you know, it. it I mean, it, it, it. The short version is, it's really fucking racist. Um, uh, uh, the kind of slightly longer version is that it's, it, that is sort of a, a deep reformism, um, uh, because you're witnessing 
a moment that could actually coalesce into a revolutionary situation and you're turning up your nose and you're saying, no, thanks. You people get back to where you belong. It's offensive. Um, so that's on the one hand. On the other, when we look at sort of May into June 2020 and we ask ourselves, why did it happen the way that it happened? What else could have happened if we lived in a slightly different arrangement of the world? only slightly different. We could now be in a revolutionary situation. But what would that difference have required? And this is the kind of the, the, you know, the sort of like the movement and the, the fatigue that you're talking about. What actually would have had to have been different for, I don't know, for there to have been a regime change, for there to have been a substantial transfer of power and resources from one class to another, uh, uh, you know, like all the things that we could say would a kind of accompany a revolution. Um, I think for my money that in order to take this moment of mass mobilization and turn it into something much bigger, we didn't need more people doing more radical action. We needed more organization. We actually need and more solidaristic organization. If every union in the US had simultaneously gone on solidarity strike in in solidarity with Black Lives Matter protesters, um against prisons and policing, right? Against all forms of racial capitalism that dispossess people of their abilities to live, right? Um, if that had happened, we would now be in a revolutionary situation, right? Um now the conditions were not last year and are not currently su sufficient for something like that to take place here, right? Although if we think about something like the Arab Spring, well, it actually happened again and again and again, right? If we think about the pink tide, um, you know, we can think about Bolivia, right? Uh, uh, Bolivia, um, like uh, Vijay Prashad uh, said a couple of months ago, uh, the people of Bolivia walked out of a coup, you know, they saw Janine Añez, uh, and and you know sort of the the like the the an, uh, the right wing an anti indigenous right wing steal an election force out a democratically elected uh, uh, the democratic elected government of Evo Morales um, and they uh, spent an entire year in the streets blockading highways uh, uh, a rolling series of of, of of strikes and and uh, mobilizations of different kinds blockades and, and disruptions. There was uh, there was another vote that you know um, uh, uh, the MAS won decisively, but the MAS didn't. But in order, like it's it's not just like they secured. It's not just like they won because they won a vote because you know Anyez had already toppled one democratically elected socialist leader. She could have done it again if the conditions had been on her side, and they were not right. But Bolivia is a very unionized country. You know, it has uh, uh, for, like starting with the Cochabamba water wars, proceeding for, you know, which is 20 years ago in 1999, I believe, um, proceeding for, you know, the next like 22 years uh, uh, has mass indigenous mobilization, uh, mass um, mobilization of farm workers and, and various other, you know, like sectors of the economy that are very unionized um, that are able to actually deliver the p power of the state into the hands of a socialist government. That was not the case here in the U.S. For very, for very many reasons, right? But we can think about, you know, what would have to change in order for that to be the case the next time, and the next time may be very soon, right? The next time there is a moment like this. Damn, go that's off. a question 
I've been asking a lot of our guests lately, like, you know, we see these uprisings all around the world against austerity and against political repression. Um, and they kind of erupt and then they die down sometimes for many years. And when they happen again, it kind of feels like you're starting back from zero. So what kind of organizational forms are necessary to um, make sure that, you know, they stay tied together through time, that they one one action builds on the last instead of just having to start over again? And that, you know, we, we get stitched together through different struggles, including um, labor. I, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm, are you looking for my, my Twitter? Yeah, somebody somebody had asked um, in the chat how they find you. They like what you were saying. And I found something that definitely uh, my, wasn't my, you. Was, oh, that person is not me. Yeah. Uh, uh, my Twitter is unit01barbie. Cool unit i wasn't then, trying to then username i wasn't trying to creep on you uh, right, sorry it's, it's yeah oh it's fine it's it's numerals unit zero one uh barbie oh there you are yeah that, I, that's that's uh, me right people there people want to know oh there you are dsa emerge yeah. i'm gonna put that up on the screen so that people can find you sorry go on I didn't, I wasn't, <laughs> oh, yeah. you have an eagle no, eye though you saw me doing... looking through twitter for you <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's totally fine. Um, so, 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 okay. So to Jamie's question, you know, like what, like what needs to change for these moments to not just be kind of waves, right? You know, which, which surge and then, and then, and then crash, right? What needs to change? I mean, I think that, you know, I'll, I'm going to sort of answer kind of in the abstract, which is that I think that the critical difference is, you know, uh, where are there institutions of working class self-activity? Um, and that can take very many forms, right? I'm not just saying unions. That could be, you know, labor unions or tenant unions. It could be unemployment councils, which the CPUSA set up uh, uh, significantly throughout the 30s, mm -hmm. right? Um, uh, it could be, I mean, you know, it could be, uh, I mean, now when we say militias, this obviously has a right-wing flavor in, at different periods of history. And you can think about the French or Haitian revolutions. That that was not true, right? Um, uh, so there have been different moments when, uh, 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 you know, something like, like that has been uh, uh, an organ of, of, of working class uh, self-activity or a peasant self-activity, right, uh, of, uh, of self-organization. Um, in some situations, the party has been uh, an important um, uh, uh, organ for working class self-activity and self-organization, right? Um, uh, so I'm a little agnostic in the abstract about what forms of organization that, that, that particularly requires, but it's definitely the case that like people who have not very much um, uh, and who, who who recognize that this dispossession, which is not an absolute dispossession, it's just a partial dispossession because they also have resources of their own, right? Um, uh, 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 that people who people who recognize this dispossession as a source of solidarity, as a ground of solidarity, um, uh, are they able to mobilize together in such a way as to move effectively um, uh, on a on a sufficient scale? 
and in such a way as to pass on knowledge between from one moment of, of from one surgent moment to another. Um, those are, I think, the relevant questions. And one of the reasons why so many, you know, like we, we talk about, uh, you know, like you see stuff come to a head and then it dies back down. Well, what, why is that? In the 40 years of global neoliberalism, one of the things that the neoliberal state, the, the kind of neoliberal like a, a, um, fusion of state and capital has done is vigorously disorganize people. Um, uh, I mean, I think that Salermo and Dacey's article in Viewpoint on the party as articulator talks about a lot of this stuff. And, and, and that for me is a really clarifying essay. It's really, really, really good. People should read it. People should think about it. Um, uh, so, you know, like, uh, uh, it, uh, not every arrangement of the state does this, but this one absolutely does. It vigorously disorganizes people. What happens when you evict people in their millions? You destroy neighborhoods. You destroy soft and hard forms of organization. What happens if you are Reagan and you break the air traffic uh, controller's strike of, of 12,000 people? Um, or if you're Margaret Thatcher and you break um, the miners' strike um, uh, through extraordinarily sadistic uh, uh, tools, right? You dis you disorganize people, right? Disorganization is not a if organization is not a given. Disorganization is also not a given, right? It is produced, right? Um, so 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 those are some of the reasons why you know, we are in this moment of recovering our strength um, uh, after years and years and years and years of losing, right? And of governments like successive Democrat administrations or, you know, the sort of third wayism of like uh, Clinton and Blair uh, in Canada of, uh, you know, uh, uh, Cretin or uh, now Trudeau, um, uh, uh, you know, people who are sort of speak left and govern right. You know, like all, all of this stuff, right? That, that, that these, these are instruments that have disorganized people and that have demobilized people. What are some others? Imperialist violence, the murder of Berta Cáceres in the Honduras, right? Sorry, in, in Honduras, right? Uh, 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 um, that form of, you know, like, the, like CIA-backed assassinations of effective environmental leaders are things that are events that... Um, uh, uh, that demobilize and disorganize people and scare people for their lives, right? Um, you know, these are events that happen. So, so imperialism is a force that uh, 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 compels people to stop organizing together effectively, right? Um, and does so in kind of active and passive ways. Um, you know, uh, uh, the free, like NAFTA, right? Uh, is, is, is another one of these things. Um, so if, if, you know, Jamie, you're asking like this really good question, which is like, how come there are these moments of resurgence that fall away? Um, it is because people are not sufficiently able to move together. And that might be because they have not sort of attained a level of like sufficient internal unity or organization or something like that but it also might be because they are under attack from all sides right. from without it might be because the u.s cooed their fucking government right i i've been asking this question a lot lately of I'll be right back. guests as well as 
myself. Uh, and, you know, sometimes feeling a little bit discouraged because you saw acts of immense bravery over the summer on the part of just regular ass proletarians, uh, a black led multiracial insurgency. Uh, and I'm, I'm talking about st militant street actions, looting, attacking police cars, all of it. You know, they burned down a fucking precinct. And then I look around me at DSA and I'm like, okay, there are people in the NGO sector here. There are people who want jobs in the Democratic Party. Like, how are we ever going to bridge this gap and figure out how to relate to what's happening in the streets? Like, it just doesn't seem possible. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, Jamie, I think you've heard me say this before, but I'll, I'll say it again for everyone online right now. You know, in, in May and June, I was real. I, I thought that the DSA nationally overall embarrassed itself, uh, like absolutely embarrassed itself. I think that it, if you're, uh, uh, if the kind of things that you say publicly are not meaningfully um, uh, distinguishable from a corporation that's covering its ass, you know, I don't know, like Coke puts out a Black Lives Matter statement, right? Like, if if you're not capable of move uh, of mobilizing in a different way, um, that's embarrassing. Now, I think that things pick sort of picked up. They kind of caught themselves. They really, like people were sort of knocked back. You know, uh, obviously, I think that there are people in that organization. I think that there are groups within that organization that are absolutely have their their finger on the pulse. Really, are thinking in totally the right way. We're absolutely, you know, we're like we're with people in the streets. But it totally should have been the case on day one that you know, like NYC DSA at the time, what had like you know fifty five hundred members. Now it's up to more like seven thousand, uh, 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 or or you know whatever the numbers were. But like fifty five hundred members on day one at Barclays. You know, there should have been a kind of text bank, like, show up in solidarity, you know, against the murder of George Floyd, in solidarity for Black liberation, in solidarity for racial justice. That should have happened on day one. And in fact, I believe that, you know, there was like, in late June, there was a DSA march. And in October, there was a DSA march. Um, and so it, it took a while, right? Um, and I think that you're right, Jamie, to point to the fact that that has something to do with the the class composition of DSA, because it is a lot of petty bourgeois people with, frankly, some of whom have like some money to spend, right? How they have some money to throw around. They do not feel sufficiently in solidarity with um, people in the street. And sometimes they uh, uh, actively have political positions that tell against it. You know, the sort of like uh, the Adolf Reedians, for instance, that kind of spring caucus shit that like believes that like Black Lives Matter is like anti-class. Mm -hmm. like, you, know, you know, it's like fuck off, right? Like, that's bullshit, that's bullshit. Um, uh, so, so, so if the question is how does DSA act, how does DSA become like an actual institution, not just for the working class, but of the working class? That is a really big question. I mean, I have I have some thoughts as like, at, at this point as a participant, as an organizer, uh, as someone who is in DSA and, and, and is also in a number of other organizations and, and who for many years, many years was like, I'm not joining DSA, it's whack. So I have thoughts, <laughs> but, um, uh, but I agree that, I agree that it's an uphill climb. 
I agree that it's an uphill climb. And I think that it's important for the people who you're naming, who are sort of, you know, like people who work like a 40 hour weeks on their day job and they have a salary and they're relatively secure and comfortable, but who speak on behalf of the working class. Uh, I think that those and those people have a lot of, you know, a lot of those people have like powerful positions within the organization. Those there, there are maybe reasons why they don't actually understand what they're doing is wrong. And there are reasons why those people are like kind of milk toast social democrats. Um, I think that like getting people to understand like, okay, like this has to be an organization that is not just for the working class, but of the working class. How do we do that? How do we bring people in? How do we move in concert? How do we act in solidarity? Uh, uh, these are the questions that we have to ask ourselves in every day, in every campaign, in every organizing effort. And and I mean, since since we're still you know hovering over Solar's article here, I think that this party as an articulator piece actually like summarized a lot of the internal divisions within the organization at the time and pro pro like produces a really interesting. Again, for me, it was a very clarifying answer. I don't know if answer might be too final. But it, it was very clarifying. You're uh, spinning some hot fire tonight. I'm eating ice you. cream out of the tub. That's great. I love that. Um, I really need some water, so I'm gonna yeah, go. Please get some. I think Jamie. Uh, I think Jamie froze again. Either that, or she's giving us both the, the death eye. The, the silent treatment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, word BRB. Yep. I'm gonna kick her out of the chat. That's what I'm gonna do. That's what happens when you freeze. You get kicked right out of the chat. Let's see. Jamie Peck, GTFO, disconnector. There we go. Hopefully she'll uh, know that that's the cue to sign back in. Great discussion tonight, man. Really good discussion. Oh, there she is. It wasn't from lack of interest that I reached for the ice cream. I was just really hungry. <laughs> hey, what's up? Uh, you love your treats. You say that you don't, but you do. I'm a little treat boy sometimes. You are. Every time I, um, I figured it out now, every time you freeze, I'm just going to kick you out of the room. All right, fine. That I'll know. Because sometimes I don't know if I froze or one of you guys froze or what the fuck is going on. Well, I'm the admin, so I'll kick you out. Fine. I, I'll do fine. A, I'll I do a care. misogyny to you. It's cool. Do it. Uh, fucking deplatform me. Wouldn't be the first time. Sure, sure. Canceled. <laughs> Canceled. But, uh, no, I have to pee real quick and also get ice cream because you made me want to <laughs> be right back. Okay, do you have any ice cream? I... No, I don't. I wish I did. Man. Maybe that is what I will do when, when I hop off the call with you guys. Yeah, it's Wednesday night ice cream hour. I, um... Wednesday night ice cream. I mean, there is there is a market in my neighborhood that it closes at 11 and it carries Van Leuven, so... Oh, hell yeah. Well... We'll be off well before 11 o'clock, so I think I see that in your future. Cheers. You're, um, no, I really, I really appreciate all that you're, um, all that you're saying. I think your analysis and also your prescription is really, really good. I'm, um, I'm constantly impressed by the DSA Emerge type people. Um, the, so much time gets spent online and elsewhere talking shit about the, the springtime for, Sockdam or whatever. What did you call that? Uh, 
What'd you call it? The caucus? <laughs> Springtime caucus or whatever? I mean, it's... <laughs> It's, it's, I think it's like called Spring Caucus, and they're kind of dominant in the Philly, uh, uh, in the Philly chapter. Um, uh, I mean, I, I might have got their name wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's right. No, um, I'm gonna start calling them. Uh, sort of like... I'm gonna start calling them Springtime for Sockdam. <laughs> that's a uh, that's spicy, edgy, and I like it. <laughs> I, I got no harsh in the race. I'm not in DSA. I can I can poke fun. What would people call? Uh, oh, a, totally. I mean, do it. What would people call a merge to make fun of you guys? Pinkos, dirty commies, oh, um, ultras. Uh, I, I mean, are we ultras? I don't know. Um, I mean, maybe some of us are. Um, but you sound uh, like a communist uh, uh, to me. Uh, you sound like just a communist. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I mean, somebody could, you know, like uh, I, I, I kind of like pinko. I really do. Um, when I was a, a sort of preteen and I didn't know that it meant communist, I thought it meant gay and I, 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 I thought it was great. Um, like I was really excited about this. Uh, so, you know, I'm a, I'm a recruit to the Hominturn, uh, 50 oh. years too late. Oh, yeah. Hominturn, <laughs> baby. There's a Pinko magazine and there's a Hominturn magazine now, so. There are. I have, I have, uh, worked with both of them. <laughs> I like it. I like uh, it. Uh, I, some of my work was published in Hominturn, my poetry, because, you know, again, dork shit. Um, Pinko, uh, I, you know, I, I sort of, I, I worked with those people, but were kind of building up to their first issue. And then I had to go write my dissertation, so I had to stop working oh. with them. Um, so oh. I think that they do a good thing. Um, it's very left communist. Uh, so I think that we also probably disagree about things like... <laughs> organization and the party and you know all the all these questions but I, i'm glad that those people do what they do you know yeah how, how... left is too small for us to not be friends it's surely true i need to stop asking questions and then start and then eat ice cream because it really messes everything up <laughs> it's like impossible to I'll... it's impossible to stream and eat ice cream at the same time i found out oh, what well, i'm just what, discovering that. Yeah, it's really Flavor hard. of ice cream. What flavor of ice cream are you guys eating? I'm eating um, Ample Hills Baked Unbaked. Ample Hills from um, Red Hook. I don't know if you guys have ever been to that place, but uh, they make the ice cream right there. It's really good. I've been to the Ample Hills on uh, Vanderbilt. Mm. Um, but but it, I, I am, for my sins, a vegan and they don't have a lot of great well, people. Well, then There's you would like what I'm eating. <laughs> what are you? I got the vegan Van Leeuwen chocolate yes. chip cookie dough. Oh, amazing. It's delicious. Okay, I haven't had that one. I really love the, um, like, the it's like the cookie and jam one. Like, the like it's like raspberry jam and something. Um, it's really, okay. it's fantastic. That is, right. is the ice cream flavor that I will, you know, walk through, uh, uh, snow sleet and fog for since you're so on fire tonight um why uh, don't you you mentioned uh left communists why don't you talk about the ways that your politics differ somewhat from like left communism in general right yeah you're like you're getting me back okay i'm constantly caught between these two poles i feel like i'll like talk to someone like you and i'm like 
oh yeah that makes sense and then i'll talk to some of our ultra friends i'm like oh that makes sense i don't know i maybe i'm just a dumb bitch who can't make up my mind but i feel like uh maybe there, we need some kind of dialectical tension here right i mean <laughs> uh so so i think that the the tension has to do with a series of so i agree um and kind of like i said at the start you know i mean like for all the disagreements that I have, um, I think that everybody, like, I think that everybody here is, is fulfilling a function. Um, uh, and that, you know, like, as you say, we kind of all have to be friends because it's a very small, very difficult world. Yep. Um, so I would say, I would mark my, my, my differences in terms of a lot of the stuff that I've been talking about today in terms of a series of, like, a, like a different answer to the question of uh, uh, what kind, what forms of organization are required. Is organization an important term for, I would say yes. You know, um, I think that, uh, you know, say for like, uh, for a lot of left communists, uh, you know, I mean, and, and here I'm, I'm kind of talking about like, let's, let's, let's just say like endnotes, you know, um, my, uh, differences from those people have to do with a series of uh, like actually difference on the level of like different practices of Marxism. I do not believe they are convinced that the working class is so decomposed as to be unorganizable. And I disagree. Um, they are convinced, you know, that, uh, 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 I mean, and, and, and that produces a series of like, different answers to the question of like effectively like you know the, the big question the really big one the what is to be done question right um i you know i think that if you believe that people are not simply by force of history inhibited from uh uh their their ability to 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 organized together for to, to, to secure the conditions under which to determine their own lives, right? If you believe that that is not just a given, but that is a situation that has been produced. Um, uh, oh, Jamie, I think I that, kicked, there I you kicked are. her uh, off again. No, okay. I was here. I was uh, here. I just turned off my camera because uh, I had to put the ice cream back. I'm oh, listening. Okay. All right. Sorry. I preemptively uh, kicked you out. So, 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 if you, you know, like, uh, uh, um, like, if you believe that this is a situation that, you know, if you believe that this is not an inevitable situation, it is not a historically final situation, uh, if you believe that there's a situation that has an end, then you might have a different, uh, series of answers to the question of how is it possible to organize with people with working class people uh how is it possible for people to organize with each other right um so that, that's one area of difference another is is a kind of disagreement about the role of the party um i am not in a party i could be um and also if you think that and, and people in emerge have, vo have voiced this opinion that the dsa could be a party-like organization then that might be you know that then and and could serve some of those functions um then that you know like that might be an organ 
that does actually bear an important and again organic relationship to revolutionary struggle and that's a difference from like left comms who are like you know to quote a poet whom i love sean bonnie people who say you know like don't say join the party say fuck the police <laughs> which is a great line it's a right? great line yeah. but it's not it's not necessarily a line i agree with right i have a, you know art from the communist party of canada like on my wall right um <laughs> uh, uh okay, no last us. right precisely right you know de definitely say fuck the police like definitely do that definitely say that um uh so 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 that so that's one one difference and another you know i think would probably ultimately probably comes down to like the state um which is that I do believe that um, the state fulfills uh, uh, good functions. Um, I am not, I, I, I believe that the bourgeois state is the enemy. The state as it currently exists is an enemy. Um, and I think it's important for us to oppose it um, and for us to figure out how to undo it. But that doesn't just mean, that, that could also mean shifting uh, 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 relations of control. Um, and it might also mean changing what the thing, it would definitely means changing what the thing itself is. No, again, the state is not static. It's not a given. It's not just a matter of taking control of it. Um, and certainly it's not just a matter of taking control of it, like electorally. What kind of fantasy world are you guys living in? Uh, uh, you know, that's, I, I'm not a burden. Crap. and i hope that i've made that pretty clear it's quite clear yeah um i think so so speaking of the state i think a, a big reason why i find this sort of left cob analysis somewhat compelling is because of the track record of actually existing socialism in the world right because you know i read state and revolution i like it a lot i'm like yeah that makes sense First, we got to do a worker state. And then once we have adequately um, suppressed a former capitalist class and we no longer need the state as an instrument of class rule, the class can wither away. The state can wither away and we get full communism. Right. That makes a lot of sense. But then, you know, when they actually tried it, it's never worked. Um, and, you know, I'm also thinking about the track records of um actually existing socialist states abolition wise they never managed to abolish police and prisons they did not do that so well i don't know what do you say to that like it, it seems like it could be a state it could be a step that could still work if we do it differently next time or it seems like it could be a bottleneck that we will never ever get out of therefore a different approach is needed i mean i i think that that's so sort of think that that question is uh like considered you know from a thousand feet up it's very easy to stake out uh uh like uh positions right i think that it is much harder when we are actually faced with the questions of of um like the world at hand the world as it actually is and how do we move within that world right um, I think it's much harder to maintain that kind of abstract bro or anti, uh, that abstract like opposition or, 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 or even, you know, a sort of position of being in favor of something again, like abstractly, 
right? Um, uh, so I, I guess I'm going to dodge the question by saying, well, I think, by, by saying, I think it's sort of, like, I don't know if it's helpful necessarily to be like, so, um, uh, uh, to be so committed on principle to something in the abstract. Um, I'm trying uh, to root it in like what's actually happened in the world. Uh huh. Right. Okay. Well, so, well, I mean, let's talk about that. Right. Like one of the, like what happened, you know, what happened with like the Russian revolution, right. To, uh, 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 immediately entrench a really dire situation among committed communists. Um, the Russian Civil War, the Counter-Revolution, the World War, and international anti-communism, right? What happened to entrench, um, you know, like, what happened that 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 made, that meant that, um, uh, uh, like, millions of people died in the Great Leap Forward uh, uh, in China? Um, you know, like, uh, well, uh, conditions of international anti-communism that required the state to move in certain ways in order to try to feed people on a, 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 on a scale that it had never fed people before, right? Um, uh, uh, did many people die? Absolutely, yes. Um, uh, uh, did the state sort of like fail to do what it was supposed to do? Absolutely. Uh, although, you know, in, in that situation, we never actually say that, we, you know, nobody ever talks about how like capitalism is, is in fact uh, like something that creates famines. You only really talk about it when, you only talk about it when it's like a socialist state uh, trying to um, uh, develop productive forces sufficient to feed people in their hundreds of millions. Yeah. You never talk about it when it's a capitalist state producing scarcity and letting people die in their hundreds of millions, right? Yeah. Um, uh, uh, so, so, so that's, that's, that's kind of like on the one hand. I mean, on the, I, I would say in general, you know, one of the things, again, it, like there is a figment of right-wing ideology to go like, to, to just sort of say, all of these, we can point to all of these experiments. They all failed. You have to sort of reconcile yourself to uh, 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 to the sort of the, the here and now. And then there's a kind of, I, I would say, a, a, a an abstract negation of that position, which is to say, well, we aren't going to reconcile ourselves to, to capitalism. We're still anti-capitalist, but also we agree that those things failed. It is much harder to, accept, to, to deal with the kind of like concrete realities uh, of the fact that people made compromises, they made choices under situations of international anti-communism, uh, of civil war, of coup attempts, of people attempting to um, uh, uh, force those states to fail. You know, I mean, like, if we talk, want to talk about, like, like police states and, like, like, take an infamous example of a socialist police state, like, like let's talk East Germany, right? Uh, let's talk, like, the, the, like the Democratic Republic. Um, was yeah, like we can agree that was like that's a pretty infamous example of a police state. Why did it have to be that way? Because West Germany remained fascist. It absolutely did. Uh, uh, the Berlin Wall was described as an anti-fascist wall, an anti-fascist defense wall. And the thing is, that's not that's not just propaganda. That is true. West Germany was a far right state. It absolutely was right. Um, uh, and so you know, like. A situation, the a, a situation of, of 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 like police terror developed out of a response to like the remnants of fascism on on like literally on the doorstep, right? And so I I just think it's important to recognize that when you know 
if it is true that socialism in one state is that going to work? Well, that's, you know, like, gee, that, that the historical jury, jury is kind of out on that. That was, um, uh, 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 you know, like, uh, that's, that, that there are clearly all kinds of bad, there's all kinds of bad shit that happened, right? Um, nonetheless, we should also recognize the, how, um, we should also recognize that um, a kind of like international war led by the first world uh, was set up in order to make the second world, fa world fail. Um, and so I, I do not think that this kind of like hardening of the state, either bureaucratically or in terms of its repressive capacities is like of the fault of like socialism. I think that it has a lot to do with uh, external relations. Um, and that's not something I think that people are sufficiently um, sensitive to. That's how I'll put it. Um, and but then finally- When will I, that I, not be the case though? Like anytime uh, any revolution pops off anywhere, it's gonna be immediately beset on all sides by the forces of capitalism well, and imperialism. Okay, I mean, I, you know, like, uh, I, I, again, that I, I don't think that it's helpful to be so abstract. I think it is helpful to be concrete. I think it is helpful to be very concrete and also to think about like in different situations why different people fail, why they, you know, when and where they do. Like Chile, Chile failed in a very different way, actually because it, like because a socialist government failed to take control of the state. And, and, and the result was 17 years of uh, the far right throwing people out of helicopters. Okay, so, you know, like a, a, a kind of an insufficiently strong articulation between the state and workers and, 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 and you know, like, uh, 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 you know, like uh, various kind of councils in, 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 in Chile uh, was the reason why the coup could take hold. You know, Allende could have armed the workers and chose not to. Right. And that and that was also like that was a conscious choice. It was an intentional choice. You know, uh, uh, it was it, in retrospect, it's very easy to say it was a mistake. Um, uh, that said, like, I, I think it's important for us to talk about I think it's important for us to talk about Vietnam. Right. Um, uh, uh, I think like, you know, I mean, I know that you guys. I don't know about you. It's get, it's getting on nine. So uh, soon I'll, I'll have to log off. Um, but, you know, I think it's important for us to talk about Vietnam, I think it's important for us to talk about Bolivia, I think it's important for us to talk about Cuba, you know, I think it's important to talk about different forms that actually existing socialism has taken such that we're not always talking about the, like, you know, 1925 in Russia, uh, or, 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 or 1956 in China, or, you know, so on, right? Um, uh, it's important to broaden our range of analysis, um, and it's also important, I think, to be sort of uh, uh, historically sensitive um, to, uh, it's important, uh, let me put it this way, I, th I will double down on the claim that uh, uh, insisting that socialist states are doomed to fail is, it absolutely is a right-wing talking point. And when it is parroted by the left, that is a testament to uh, 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 that is a testament to an extreme degree of propaganda. Um, uh, I think I'm, I think I'm just gonna, <laughs> um, I think I'm just gonna like kind of push push that line. I think that we could, like, that I, I think that we need to think about 
uh, um, relations between people in the state is an evolving process, right? Um, and and not to commit ourselves to uh, a sort of abstract teleology of how it has to go. That's what I think. I agree with that. Um, shall we call it emergent organizing? Hmm? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love the sound of that. What did the start a caucus about that? I mean, Jamie, you named it. Do you want to talk about it? Um, sure. I don't know. Uh, God, I'm like kind of fucking tired now. This has been great. <laughs> um, uh, the idea that, uh, you know, we need to be fine tuning our tactics to uh, conditions which are always changing on the ground in the world and in the working class. And um, I really think we are creating some kind of synthesis in emerge of all the different uh, historical tendencies that people have come out of because it is, you know, a big tent communist caucus with all different kinds of communists in it. Uh, some of them have a tendency. Some of them are more Leninist. Some of them are more into this galaxy brain communization shit that I'm into uh, half of the time. So... Sometimes it doesn't make sense together, but I feel like uh, we are moving towards a synthesis that does, and hopefully it'll be a valuable tool in our organizing to come. It produces, I mean, uh, I'll say one thing for communization, it produces great aesthetics. <laughs> um, <laughs> it produces great aesthetics. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll say, you know, I mean, so I'm, I'm a recent member of him for, for people who are watching, I'm a recent member of Emerge. Um, and I, I joined through a comrade whom I met, uh, over the summer, um, uh, and who, uh, uh, I, I was able to kind of like, like talk to with a great deal of curiosity, um, uh, about, about the caucus. You know, I mean, I think that it distinguishes itself sort of within, uh, NYCDSA for for being specific for being specifically Marxist um, when a lot of DSA nationally is not is 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 kind of soft Marxist is not is not like really committed to a lot of Marxist study and I think that one of the things that we try to do is really refine our tools to think very concretely about history and theory in the present um, I think that that's on the one hand I think that. Uh, we are a caucus of people who are really committed to organizing and to organizing with people and to organizing with uh, 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 to 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 um, organizing for the purpose of of enabling organs of working class self activity. I think that, that that I would say that that kind of cuts across different ideas that we have about party in the state. I think that's definitely true, and that's why you know there have been times I've had agreements with the rest of the caucus on things like state socialism but at the end of the day the shit that we're working on together is the most important shit and it's shit that i believe in so there we go and you know uh, so maybe it's not maybe we're wrong like maybe the ultras are right maybe there's nothing that we can fucking do to make the rev happen sooner or make it more likely to succeed um but even if that's the case, there's a small chance that they're wrong. So we got like, we might as well try. 
That's what I got to say about that. Absolutely. <laughs> we might as well. If there's any doubt in your mind that it might not happen exactly the way the ultras say that it will, we might as well try to organize because what else do you got to do? Just sit around and wait for the revolution? I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm a problem solver. I'm a doer. Like, <laughs> it makes, if, if, if nothing else, it makes me feel better to know that I'm trying things so sitting around and, down on that question sitting around and waiting and what and then what kind of watching other people revolt sounds like situationism to me that sounds that sounds like a lot of fun um this has been great thank you for the fun questions thank you for the repartee um have a wonderful night thanks enjoy so celine thanks you're thanks, thanks for coming Kay. yeah thank you cheers we'll do it again sometime. bye 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 that was so good. I feel like we should um, we should uh, rip the audio from the video and put it. No, up. I was just thinking that myself. Put it up as a bonus episode. I was, I was like, man, you know, like we had two ultra episodes in a row where they talked shit on the defund campaign. We should put something in the podcast feed for people who only listen to the podcast and don't yeah. watch the Twitch. So they can get the other perspective because I think Kay laid it out very well. Yeah, I agree. I think um, that, that's something I'll try to do this week. I, I think I can get from Andy how to do that. Stuff, so I can try to